Well, it's been wonderful to hear all the good things the Lord has been doing, uh, doing in the midst uh, of his people here at Glad Tidings. We uh, couldn't connect, uh, really. We were, when we were on the ship, there's no, well, there's Wi-Fi if you want to pay 20 bucks a day. Uh, we're too cheap for that. But uh, so we're, you know, whenever we had the opportunity, we'd text or even uh, last Sunday before last, we're leaving September 11th, and I was on the phone, I think, with Lyle or Susan or Jenny or three or four of the staff until we got on the boat. It was like uh, probably 2 o'clock your time, 12 o'clock our time, and what's going on, How are th- and what's happening, and who got baptized, and who got filled with the Holy Spirit, and all that good stuff, and then I finally had to hang up, get on the ship, and we got off the ship, called again from Sunday, what's been happening? And uh, so it's been exciting to hear just the wonderful things, all the life signs of what the Lord is doing uh, in our midst, and just doing in the hearts of people who, who just want more from the Lord. This morning I want to... Uh, draw our attention to the second chapter of the book of Acts. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we have a record of actually the birth of the church 2,000 years ago, which was really in the midst of this incredible manifestation of God's presence and power in the lives of people who were being baptized with the Holy Spirit, who were being filled with the life of God. And there was so much excitement and just such a manifestation of God's presence that a crowd of people who didn't know God were gathering by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Well, there must have been thousands because thousands were saved. But, and they were asking, what in the world is going on? And so Peter stands up in the midst of the crowd and he begins to explain to them, beginning at verse 4, right through to verse 40, he begins to explain to them how they as well can get in on what they are seeing, how they can encounter the power of God. And then we read, we pick up at verse 40, it says this, Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Everybody say long time. Long time. Actually, another translation says with many other words. This is kind of a nice way of saying for a long time. Peter preached. Strongly urging all his listeners, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, meaning the community. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Peter said to the crowd who asked, what is going on? He said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. That word crooked essentially means save yourself from this culture or society that's not going anywhere. It's empty. So many of the pursuits are pointless. They really have nothing to do with with what God intends for you. Uh, The old English word for crooked, some of you may have it in your Bibles, is the word untoward. Save yourself from this untoward generation. That word untoward means save yourself from this road society says to take that really is so difficult to navigate and is marked by trouble and is marked by unhappiness. Save yourself from a lifestyle. Save yourself from a routine that's not going anywhere, that's pointless because there's a way of life that Jesus wants you to know and He wants you to live in. And I want us to understand this morning the kind of life that Jesus promised 
and that Peter preached about was not only about being born again. It was about learning how to grow in a way of life that brings you out of that pointlessness, brings you out of that aimlessness, a way of life in which you are ongoingly being liberated from those empty, unfulfilling ways of the world around you. You see, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, He wasn't only saying, I'm the way to heaven. We know He is that, but that's not all He meant. What Jesus was saying is, I am the way to experiencing a meaningful and fulfilling life here on earth. And it was a life that Jesus actually modeled in front of the 12 disciples who followed Him so closely. You know, I believe today we live in a world in which most people have no purpose in their life other than basically self-fulfilling objectives. And that includes a lot of believers, a lot of professing Christians. If I was to ask us this morning, how many believe that God's Word is actually true? I think probably most, if not all, of our hands would go up. But I want us to understand this morning that what makes truth real is not what's happening in your head. It's what's happening through your life. That's the difference. And that's some of the testimonies you've been hearing these past several weeks. It's people actually getting excited again, not just about church, but about Jesus, about a relationship with a God who is real, who has our address, who meets us where we are and actually flows through us. That's what was happening the day of Pentecost. That's what was getting the people really excited. It's God working through our lives. And many have experienced that. You see, to be alive to God is not to agree with a statement of faith. To be alive to God is to be consciously laying hold of the things the Holy Spirit has come to do. That's what I believe the life of God is really all about. I've been a Christian for some 45 years now. I've been a pastor in pastoral ministry for some 33 years. And yet I can honestly say that hardly a week goes by that there's not something in my life that the Lord is calling me to lay hold of. That there's not something new the Lord is wanting me to understand, to grasp, to to pray into my life, to, to challenge my life, to shape my life with, to actually make me more like Him and what He has for me. I love the words of David in Psalm 40. He said, speaking of the Lord, He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. You ever feel like you're in the mud and the mire? And that's really what Peter was saying. Hey, repent and turn away from this lifestyle where you're just stuck. It's just the same old, same old. It's routine. And you might even be happy with that. You might enjoy your job and your pastimes and your pleasures. But when you're alone with yourself in the quietness of your heart, you have a sense, there's got to be more than this. I'm made for more than this. David said, he delivered me out of that mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. I love this word. And he steadied me. He steadied me as I walked along. What is he saying? He's saying, God has freed me from the pointlessness. And he has shown me a pattern for living that actually leads me into a place of expecting and of experiencing what he has promised. Let me ask you this morning. When it comes to the promises of God, the truth of who God really is, what he has for you and me, is there a sense of expectation in your heart? Is there a sense of expectation of something new the Lord is calling you to, something He's challenging you, something He's, he's drawing you toward? Is there, is there an experiencing of something 
that he has promised. I think that's one of the real testimonies, one of the joys of what the Lord's been doing in many lives is people are saying, you know what? What's exciting, I'm actually beginning to experience what I believe. I'm actually beginning to experience what I've professed for many years, but I haven't really seen it, and I've, and I've had a, a theology that accommodated not seeing it. Our old English word for powdering comes from the French word patron. Those who speak French know patron today kind of is used as a boss, the name for my, mon patron, my boss. But a patron, a patron, was, was basically someone who commissioned work to be done. Uh, most of us know if you go into a, a store today, if you want to buy some clothing, what do you do? You look through the rack, okay? Uh, if you go shopping with Stafford at Martin's, you're there for a whole day looking through a rack. Uh, I don't know why that came to mind. It must have been the Holy Spirit. But some people just, they just know how to shop. They're just, you can drop them off for the day and they're good to go. Well, we do that. But you see, there was a time, and some of you may be old enough to remember this, but there was a time when if you wanted a new article of clothing, you couldn't just buy it on a rack. What you'd have to do is bring in a similar piece of clothing or maybe a picture, an example of what you wanted, and the, the seamstress, the tailor, would actually make that for you. Well, that example, of course, was called a pattern. And what that pattern was, was an exact duplicate of what it is that you had in mind. And what I want us to understand, God has something in mind for you and me. God has a pattern. He has a picture, not only of who you are, but of who he wants you to be of what he sees you as. I so love the word that Tanya shared. That's basically what she was saying to this man. God has a picture of really who he sees you being, of what he wants to grow you into, and that's what he has in mind for you and me. And that's what he means when he says, for example, in Jeremiah, the Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What's he saying? Before you were even in your mother's womb, I had a pattern for you. I had an image of exactly what I have in mind for you to be and to do. Before you were born, he says, I set you apart. So God has a plan for you and me. Now, we hear that all the time. But what's the, what's the relevance of that plan? The relevance of God's plan in my life is, is, is it is God's plan that gives me a sense of centeredness, a sense of groundedness, a sense of rootedness. It is God's plan and understanding that plan for me that actually guarantees productive living. And the way that we enter into that productive living, that fruitful living, is we actually submit ourselves to the pattern. Now, what is the pattern that God has for you and me? Anybody? Starts with a J, ends in E-S-U-S. <clears throat> okay? If you're in church, the answer is always God or Jesus. Okay? I'll just give you the heads up now. The answer is Jesus. And so in the person of Jesus, God has made it simple in the sense he says, if you will look at Jesus, that's the kind of person I want you to be. If you look at his ministry, those are the kind of things I want to be doing through you. So he gives us a very clear pattern or model. But we ask ourselves, well, what does it mean exactly to follow Jesus. We've been hearing a lot about that these past several weeks, and it's becoming it more and more clear. We want to talk more about it next week. But what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Well, in the Greek language, there's actually three words. There has to be because most sermons only had three points. But there's three words in particular that speak about what it means to follow. The first one means simply to accompany. 
In Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 8, we read that when Jesus called the 12 disciples, what did they do? The Bible says they left what they were doing and they followed Jesus. So to be a follower of Jesus means in some ways to accompany. Now, one of the problems with that word, of course, is of those 12 disciples, there was one disciple named Judas. Judas didn't work out too well. Okay, Judas actually denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus, of course, uh, and, and, and was one of the causes of him going to the cross. So we kind of glean from that that to really be a follower of Jesus, it's got to mean something more than just accompanying, just kind of showing up. Another word we have for uh, being a follower is, is someone who hangs out uh, or hangs around to kind of see what's going on. We have an example of that in the book of Acts. There's a story where this woman, who was a slave girl and seemed to be very discerning spiritually, uh, she was following Paul and the apostles around as they were preaching the gospel and doing miracles. She was following them around for days. And day after day, hour after hour, she'd be declaring to everybody who would listen, she shouted, these men are the servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved. Now, that sounds like a follower to me. Doesn't it sound like to you? Well, that is until Paul got exasperated and finally turned around one day and said, in Jesus' name, come out of her and cast a demon out of her. Well, it kind of shows us that, you know, to be a follower of Jesus involves a little more than just hanging around Jesus' things, right? To really be a follower of Jesus is not just somebody who accompanies Jesus. It's not just somebody who's around Jesus' things like church. It means something more. A third and final meaning of the word to follow is the verb, the Greek verb, mimites, which we see our English word in there, which is simply to imitate. That's really the word that we're after. That's really what the Bible is after for us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to imitate Jesus. Can we just say that word imitate? Imitate. I, just, I want you to think about that for a minute, to Imitate Jesus is really what it means to be a disciple. It's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means not just to believe the things we want to believe about Him, the things we appreciate about Him, the things that we're comfortable about Him. To be a follower of Jesus means to take all of Jesus. And whatever areas I'm not comfortable in, I say, Lord, I submit Make me comfortable, change me, make me like you. Whatever things I see Jesus doing that he promised I can do, I'm no longer satisfied to accommodate a theology that says, well, that was Jesus, this is me. I say, no, no, no. Lord, if I am your disciple, if I am called to imitate you, I am called, as you have promised, to also be involved in ministry like you were. I am called to expect to see those things happen through me. Does that make sense? And Lord, if it's not happening through me, I submit myself to you in this journey of faith to grow me and show me, Lord, how you can use me in the same ways. So it means to imitate. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Let us go forward then to mature. Actually, back up, I apologize. I had a scripture in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. He doesn't say just believe in your head. He goes on and says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, Paul says, you need to imitate Christ. Then we come to Hebrews 6 and 1, in which the writer says, let us go forward then 
to mature teaching. Mature teaching. And leave behind us the first lessons of the Christian message. We should not lay again foundations of turning away from useless works and believing in God. In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, he says you shouldn't always be dealing week after week, month after month, year after year with just basic stuff. You ought to be moving on from there. There ought to be security about your salvation. There ought to be some stuff actually happening in your life. Now, he's not saying that foundations are not important. But the thing about foundations is this. They are not to be laid again. They are to be built upon. You see the difference? How many of us would move into a neighborhood because it has lovely foundations? Do you like our foundation? Come on in. Right now you can only come into the basement. But we have a lovely foundation here. I mean, it's not as nice as their foundation or their foundation, but it's just a wonderful, you know, neighborhood of $300,000 foundations. It doesn't work that way. We want to move into homes. We want to move into things that are actually functional for us. And yet the church is still full of foundations. The church is still full of people who know the basics, but who never grow to the place of becoming imitators of Christ. Who never grow to the place of actually maturing in their knowledge of God and actually becoming ministering people. You see, I really believe that if I have followed Jesus for any significant period of time, even just a couple of years' time, I ought to be able to turn around to any new believer who's wondering, you know, what this Christian faith thing is about and how to, how to walk with God. I ought to be able to turn around to, say, turn to them and say something like this. Hey, listen, don't worry about it. I know this is all new to you, but listen, if you will just imitate me as I follow Christ, you'll do okay. We ought to be able to do that. We ought to be able to turn, as the Scripture says, and be living epistles that people can read and say, well, I may not have all the theology right, but as I look at this believer who's walked with the Lord a little bit longer than me, oh, that's how you do it. Oh, that's how you talk. That's what you do and don't do. That's how you minister, whatever the case may be. That is the maturity the Lord wants to bring in our lives. He goes on to say in verse 11 and 12, we want each of you to show this same diligence. Say the word diligence. Diligence, intentionality to the very end, so that when you hope, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Let me ask you that this morning. Do you have hopes in your heart the Holy Spirit has placed that have become fully realized? Because our walk with Christ is not meant to be just wishful thinking. Wouldn't it be nice if we are supposed to be a people who lay hold of the promises of God? and who begin to move in those by faith until, as the Scripture says here, they actually become fully realized. He goes on to say, we do not want you to become lazy, but we want you to imitate those who through faith, what is faith? Foundational truths. And through patience, building upon those truths, we want you to imitate those who inherit what has been promised. Now stay with me for a moment because I want us to understand That's the kind of follower Jesus wants us to be. Hear me, saints. Jesus wants to be the kind of followers who actually get the attention of people around us who are living pointless lives. Does that make sense? 
You, you see, if we're chasing the same things, our lives are just as pointless. If people look at us and we have the same stress and the same worries and the same pleasures and pursuits and all that kind of stuff filling our lives with, they don't see any difference. But the Lord wants our lives to stand out to those whose lives aren't working. Uh, those first believers who came to Christ under Peter's ministry, the Scripture says, had favor with or support of all the people, people in the community, and the Lord added to the church daily. What is he saying? I believe he's saying the Lord added to the church daily people who up until that time had no time for and were not attracted to religious traditions. But when they saw a people of God who had passion, and they saw a people who actually had a sense of purpose in their lives because they were imitators of Jesus, that changed the equation. But what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I just jotted this down. But I believe it means something like this. To be a follower of Jesus means refusing to become spiritually dull and indifferent. That's a choice we make. But instead, pursuing the example of Jesus and experiencing firsthand the promises of God, and we're going to talk more about this next week, that come by perseverance and faith. The promises of God are as good as done to those who believe. The promises of God are realized by those who lay hold of what God says. Not those who just believe, but who say, Lord, I want that happening in my life and through my life to your glory. And all of this, for this morning's purpose, is in the context of community, where you are being encouraged and you are being challenged by fellow brothers and sisters who have that same goal and that same passion. As the writer of Hebrews says, imitating those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You see, the early church learned that pattern. And I'm convinced it's why they were so fruitful. Why they saw God do what they do. The scripture says in chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to these four things. The believers didn't just kind of attend church. And I'm not saying that we all do that either. But they devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? They devoted themselves to understanding how do we become like Christ? How do we imitate Christ? They devoted themselves, number two, to fellowship. What does that mean? Fellowship is not sharing food only. It's sharing life. Fellowship is coming together with people on the same journey and sharing what you are learning, how, what God is showing you, how God is stretching you, and encouraging each other in those ways. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals, which also included the Lord's Supper. What does that mean? I think one of the most powerful things in the Alpha ministry, and you'll see that in the brochure if you have it this morning, is simply sitting around the supper table. And if you haven't discovered that, that's going to be one of the most powerful things in our homes as well, just sitting around the supper table. They shared meals together. What does that mean? It means that they really got to know each other. They took time to talk. They took time to hear each other's heart in that casual setting and build wonderful relationships. And of course, they prayed together. For one another, they prayed together for their community. And what followed, I won't read the Scriptures, but if you have your Bibles, in verse 43, because of that devotion, there was this deep reverence for God. What does that mean? It means that they were kingdom-minded. I think one of the reasons why we need to be coming together in smaller groups, we need to have those relationships, is we have to remind each other on a regular basis that it's about the kingdom. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, it's about Jesus and what he's doing today and the lives he's touching, the difference he's making in the kingdom today. We remind each other of that. And it says there was miracles everywhere. Verse 44, God's presence delivered people from selfishness, from the fear of lack, and there was this incredible generosity so that every need was met in the church family. And then 46 and 47, their generosity overflowed to people in the community. And I love what this verse says in 47. All the while praising God, and listen to this, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. One of the reasons why, and I'll touch more next week. I've said that ten times, haven't I? Make sure you come back next week. I won't say it again. But one of the reasons why it is important for us in one form or the other to deliberately be out in the street, to be looking for needs and meeting for needs, meeting needs is because, friends, we heard in the testimony this morning, that's what creates goodwill. I am convinced that though there is a world spirit that oftentimes works through media and all that kind of stuff that is anti-Christ, anti-church, I honestly don't believe the average person in our community is against the church. I believe what the issue is, they just don't see the relevance of the church. It's not against, it's not hateful, it's just that you're just a non-effect in the community. I mean, we see the cars in your parking lot and we assume you have a big crowd in there and when you leave, you all go and support Swiss Chalet. But apart from that, you know, apart from the restaurant industry, we're not quite sure what you do. But you see, when the church is out there, whether it's in the street and in your workplace, in the community, be in the presence of Jesus where you are, believe me, friends, yes, there will be some opposition, but there will be a lot of goodwill. There will be a lot of divine appointments, a lot of conversations, and daily the Lord will add to His church those who are being saved. Does that make sense? Okay. Good deeds produce goodwill produce a good harvest. And so we see they gathered regularly in the temple where they received the teaching each week, but they also gathered in their homes and in smaller settings. I, I love a Sunday gathering like this. I mean, I, I love coming to church. I love being together with the body of Christ. But the reality is we have limited fellowship opportunity when we come together like this, don't we? I mean, if I was to ask you, you know, who's sitting around you? Maybe a lot of you would say, I don't know, but I, I know the back of their head. You know, I, I could pick them out in a crowd. Unless they turn around, I wouldn't know them. But as long as they're back on, I could, I could tell you, they go to glad tidings, especially some of us with less hair. Um, but the fact is, there's meaningful ministry, and, and biblically so, when we come together corporately, there's things that God does. We worship together, of course. We're fed the Word of God. We have opportunities sometimes to, to pray around the altar. But in order for us to truly get to know one another, to truly help one another grow by sharing what God is doing in our lives, by, by encouraging one another in those more intimate settings, we have to have those smaller settings. In fact, when you study the New Testament, you'll discover that their house meetings were not just for dropping by for a chat. I mean, hospitality is great. Hospitality is biblical. It's providing a warm welcome, and that is good, and some of you have the gifts of hospitality. But fellowship is different. Fellowship is where a group of people shares a common spiritual pursuit. 
Fellowship is people who come together who have a goal of having what Jesus has for them. Being who Jesus wants them to be. And having an impact in their community. It was in those small groups that people were being discipled in the book of Acts. And it was to those small groups that lost people were being invited. Now, you, when you came in this morning, you should have received a brochure for our life groups here. And if you do have one, can you just hold it up? If you don't, we can get you one. You can just raise the other hand. But I just want you to, to take that for a moment. You can open that. And we're going to look at it in just a moment. But life groups, very simply, are a variety. And you'll see in this brochure, we have about 11 different avenues whereby you can be connected here at Glad Toddies. But I want us to understand it's for a purpose. Life groups are not a program. We say that the person beside you, life groups are not a program. Okay? Thank you for saying that. I know you, sound, you feel stupid. But life groups are not a program. You know what life groups are? Life groups are a plan. There's a difference. Life groups are a plan to help you and me resist the spirit of this world which basically tries to do this. It tries to get my life filled up with things that never ultimately fulfill, that never ultimately make me more like Christ or help me to realize the destiny God has for me. That's what the world spirit wants to do. It may fill your life with lots of good things, innocent things, but at the end of the day when you stand before the Lord, the majority are a waste of time. They have just filled your life but they have done nothing for the life of Christ to actually flow through you and you to participate in the work of the kingdom. And that's what we're talking when we come to this small group connectedness or this, these life groups that you see in front of you. The Lord has a plan for us to be the kind of people that lost, self-centered, pointless lives are drawn to because they actually see something happening in our lives. I believe the Bible teaches the key to measurable growth is connectedness. If you truly want to know the life that Jesus wants you to know, you need to be linked with other brothers and sisters who are intentional in their walk with God as you want to be. Does that make sense? You need to find some people who are on that same journey and who are going to encourage one another and grow one another who will pour into you and you can pour into as well. I've got a picture here. How many of you remember what this is? Now, I know nowadays they've got thousands and millions of little pieces and people. And, you know, that's, that's too easy. In my day, you had to build the people. This is all you got. You had to build a house, a dog, a skyscraper, and they were all square. But, you know, that's all you got. But what this represents to me is a typical person. Research indicates that the average person, we're average ordinary people, the average person can only make eight significant connections in their life. Not lifespan, but at one time. There's, there's only eight connections, really, that they can commit themselves to in any kind of significant, fruitful way. Now, if you're an extrovert, you may have one or two more. If you're an introvert, one or two less. But by and large, there's only so much we can connect to that we can commit to before we're not really being effective at all. Does that make sense? And we all know that, okay? But as human beings, I believe the Lord understands that same thing. But the point is this. Whether these connectors are filled with people or activities, there's only so much you can do. Now, if your block is full, 
you may not be looking for any more connections. And that's understandable. My question is this. With what are you filling your connectors? Are you filling your time, your attention, these connectors in your life, are you filling them with things that really have nothing to do with your growth in Christ? Nothing to do with who He's called you to be, the gifts He's given you to minister, how He wants you to touch lives around you? Are they filled with those kind of things? Or are you filling the connectors of your lives with relationships, with people, with pursuits that actually help you mature in your faith and become a ministering follower of Jesus Christ? How many understand that maturity is not measured by tenure? Maturity is measured by productivity or reproductivity. Same physically, same spiritually. I heard a story of two men who worked in a plant and there was a promotion coming up. They both applied for promotion. One guy worked there three years. One guy worked there ten years. The guy who had the tenure, ten years got passed over. The guy with three years got the job. The guy with ten years went to the boss. He was upset, understandably. He said, understand, I've been here ten years. I've got ten years experience and you gave the job to this guy who's got three years experience. The boss corrected him very kindly. He said, no, my friend, you're wrong. He said, this candidate who got the job has been here three years. He has three years experience. You've been here ten years. You have one year experience ten times. And we all work with people like that. I don't, but some of you do. That was, that was a, a slip up. But you know what I'm talking about. And you see, when it comes to being people who are following Christ, when it comes to our health, I mean, physically, how many, how many find that as you're getting older, you know, health becomes a choice, and, and, and those choices are tougher to make, aren't they? And you just won't raise your hand. you say, I'm not going to say I'm older. But it's true. The same way spiritually, the longer we've kind of been around the church, the longer we've been Christians, we've been around Christian things, the harder it becomes sometimes, if we're not already in that groove and routine, it becomes harder to make choices that actually add to our spiritual growth and productivity as followers of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times, we may have a little circle of friends, but a lot of times we're just kind of going on in our own. That's why it's so important that we come together with people of different ages, different walks of life, but who have a common desire to grow in Christ, to be involved in ministry, to be living fruitful lives, while we come together with people who remind us sometimes in the midst of busy weeks or struggles or difficult times what it means to be a Christian. I mean, isn't it wonderful even on a Sunday morning to hear a testimony of just what God is doing in our midst or doing in somebody's life? Well, you get to hear that all the time when you come together with a small group of people and you come together for the purpose of sharing those kind of things. Now, if your block is already full, I want to encourage you this morning to ask yourself, if your block is full, there's going to be a joke in there somewhere. I, I could feel it, but I just can't get my finger out. If your block is full, is your life focused? If your block is full, is your life fulfilling? Or can you identify more to Peter who talks about this aimlessness and, and pointlessness? There's a busyness, but there's an emptiness. I want to encourage you this morning to take a look at some of those life groups and, and consider how the Lord would have you get plugged in to the body here at Glad Tidings. Let me say this as well. If you're new to this church, you may have a blank lo uh, uh, Lego. You, you may have some things going on in the home or whatever, it's fine, but when it comes to ministry or the life of the church, you're not really connected. And you may be tempted to think, well, pastor, I'm fine because, you know, I come to the church and it's nice and the service is nice and, 
and people are really friendly, but I'll tell you what will happen. Over time, what actually happens, it actually works against you because the friendlier a church is, over time, the lonelier you are going to feel if you don't find a friend, if you don't have a relationship, if you don't connect with somebody because the bigger stuff is nice for a time, but it ultimately will not bring you to where you need to be. It won't help you to grow. It won't help to shape you and mature you for you to begin to have testimonies of what the Lord is doing in your life. You need those new relationships. You need those connections. Would I be wrong if I said this? We live in a day today in the church age in the Western world where the average churchgoer, glad Tony's people excluded, of course, but the average churchgoer in, in 33 years of ministry, I, I can testify to this, we want a church that is big enough that can meet all my consumer needs. I want a church that's big enough that I walk in, they've got program, 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 whatever the case may be, kids and all that kind of stuff. It's big enough for my consumer needs, but it's small enough that if something happens to me, they'll know and they'll take care of me. Does that sound right? Right? Why? Because the spirit of our society says, it's all about me. You see, this, this faith thing, it's about me. It's about the church helping me to stay saved. It's about meeting my needs and taking care of my kids and my, my, my teenagers, whatever the case may be, whatever stage of life I may be in. That's the way we think in the Western culture, and it's very much the world spirit. Peter said, save yourselves from that foolishness. Save yourself from that aimlessness, from that selfishness, from that crooked road that's not going to lead you at all into the things God has for you. Because it's not just about believing the right stuff. You've got to begin to consciously choose to lay hold of all the things the Holy Spirit has come to do in and through your life. And one of the ways you do that is connect with brothers and sisters who are devoted as you are to wanting the life that Jesus wants you to know. I want to conclude with this story. <clears throat> Last year, uh, Vanessa and I got involved in a house church. Now, you'll notice we still have host churches going on. You can be involved in that. There's a right up there. Uh, if you prefer to be, if you're, you know, you want to get off the couch. Here's the good news. If you're gaining some weight, you get nine months till next summer. Nine months, okay? So if you want to get running, you want to do something casual, just get to meet some people, you can join the running club. If you're exploring the Christian faith or, or new to the faith, you can see the Alpha ministry there. You want to go beyond that, there's next steps. Uh, if you're involved, if you're desirous to see just God do more in your marriage, there's information there. There's a whole gamut of things you've been connected in. But last year, we were, part, we were house church leaders. And I didn't get all the pictures because I looked at all their Facebook you know, uh, accounts and they didn't really have good pictures. Uh, they had some, but they weren't flattering. You know, if I put them up here without their permission, I, I could get in trouble. So we got kind of a motley crew. I don't know if the word motley is bad. I know it's a rock band, but um, you know, we just kind of got a mix of people. What's so special about our group is we are people who would recognize probably each other on a Sunday, but apart from our host church, we never would get to know each other. I mean, these people are weird in my group. You know, in the natural, no, I'm just kidding. We got a wonderful group. But they really are different ages, different walks of life, that apart from people randomly signing up, and I believe God putting us together, we never would have met. But now I have like eight new friends. 
Eight people that I appreciate so much more because of things I hear them say as we're sharing the word together and, and the way I hear them care and the way I hear them helping one another, encouraging one another, and just knowing that at any given time, I have a group of people that I know I could call on. I could call on for prayer. I've got people that keep me accountable, people that inspire me in their walk with the Lord. But that's because we have chosen to become part of this group. Well, i got to say, our group was pretty faithful all through the year. I mean, once in a while, we know what winters are like here. So once in a while, you know, storms arise or whatever, and we may have to cancel once or twice, but they're, they're pretty faithful. But one night in particular I remember back was late February, and it was one of those blistering nights, stormy nights, and it really wasn't safe to travel. But one of the couples in our group was Leary and Tanya Killam. Uh, we have a picture here of Leary and Tanya, and I apologize if it's not the best picture. It's the only one I can find. I think it's nice. But uh, Leary and Tanya... We live about a half hour out of town, so when they um, come to work, they just stay for supper, and then they come to the house church. So this particular night, everybody else called and said, Pastor, we can't make it. The roads are too dangerous. No problem. And Vanessa and I questioned, too, whether or not we should have it. Because let me let you know the secret. When you're involved in a small group, the odd time when it's small group night, you kind of hope everybody cancels. Anybody? Right? I don't feel like cleaning the house, or I don't feel like going out, or, you know, it's a, it's a winter, you know, whatever the case may be. But, but, you know, so everybody cancels. We're thinking, hey, we, got the, you know, we can just cancel. They said, if you, if you want to cancel, fine. We said, no, come on over. So they came to our place, just the four of us. We went through our soap Bible study, read the scriptures, and, and prayed together. And then just, just kind of out of the blue, uh, you know, Tanya and Larry just said, you know, why don't we share something? We, we haven't told anybody really, and it's just kind of been a struggle. You guys keep a secret, right? They said, it's just kind of been, you know, it's been a struggle of this last number of years. And, uh, you know, Tanya's just kind of tearing up. And they said, we have wanted for so long, we've tried for so long to have a baby. And we just can't conceive. And they, they're just, one, you know, wonderful parent types, you know. And uh, they're just kind of pouring their heart out. And the tears were flowing. And, and so we share with them. And, and before we left, we said, listen, we're going to anoint you. We're going to pray with you. And, uh, and so we just got together that February night, wintry night, and just prayed, just felt the presence of the Lord, and just, just left it at that. Just said, you know, Lord bless you. We're going to believe and continue to pray for you. Well, that was February. <clears throat> you got another picture. <laughs> this wasn't April. <laughs> Anybody need prayer this morning? But the point being very simply is that that small group setting, it allows for those intimate moments where you can share your heart, where you can really unload or you can encourage one another, laugh together, whatever the case may be, and you really begin to grow in a measurable way. And that's really what the Lord is after. Would you just take a moment and would you look at your brochure? Just go ahead, everybody, take a moment. We're not going to leave till you do. Now, we're, we're wrapping up here, but I want you to take a moment to look at those. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to honestly, prayerfully consider how the Lord would have you be connected. It's not about age. There's something there for everybody. And it's not about just finding people you're comfortable with. It really is about saying, Lord, how would you have me connect to this body? How would you have me become a ministering person? Where would you place me that would really maximize the growth, the stretching, the sharing, the ministry that you want to do through my life? Because, Lord, I want to step outside of this kind of aimlessness and this limited spirituality and growth that comes with just Sunday. And I actually want to begin to 
be a part of iron sharpening iron, of pouring into somebody, being poured into, getting to know some people, and actually beginning to invite and evangelize and reach out to people around me. You see on the brochure there, the subtitle is Experience Church Beyond Sunday Morning. And that's really our prayer for you this morning. That as much as you might enjoy this Sunday morning gathering, that you would really begin to experience what God can do in and through you just one-on-one, how God will grow you and stretch you in measurable and accountable ways. And the wonderful things that you may not even be aware, but the wonderful ways that God would use you to bless somebody else and encourage somebody else and be a part of their life. Let's bow our hearts. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for the life of your Holy Spirit moving not only on Sunday, but all through the week. I thank you for the many wonderful stories. I pray for new stories this week. But Lord, for this morning, I pray for the body. I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would truly find open hearts that would be open to, Lord, where you would have us be connected. Lord, not just to fill our schedule, but Lord, what lives would you have us touch? What relationships would you bring us into that would help us to grow and be stretched? People, Lord, that we could imitate, that would challenge us to minister, to evangelize, to reach out, to share our faith. I pray, Lord, this morning that for uh, all those who are here, Lord, may we have a real sense of your leading today. So I pray over this week, may we make it a matter of prayer. And Lord, may you direct us. We look forward, O God, as your word says, to the whole body being joined together, fit together, that we may be cast out into this community like a wonderful fishing net. Lord, that we bring in a great harvest of souls throughout the course of the year, every day hearing reports of people coming to Christ. Lord, because we want to be imitators of you and people who live in a pointless life are drawn to us because they see something different as we grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen.